Hello and welcome back to Over the Top Football. We are here for a live episode in sunny, sunny Belfast. John, how are we doing, mate? Very well, Rob. Looking forward to doing this in person. Looking forward to the marathon over the next few days. And um, yeah, it's nice to be able to do this and hold hands as we speak. Yeah, definitely. And it's so exciting to be able to do the podcast in front of our one fan. Yeah, I've got a studio audience today of one. Uh, we'll maybe include Josh in the next podcast that we'll record in about 25 minutes. Um, but yeah, it's good to do this in front of a live audience. Different bit of pressure than us normally spouting shits for an hour. percent. Well, it's nice to actually see someone live for your predictions like Qatar will win the World Cup. <laughs> um, so it's nice to see, yeah, a bit of pressure to get called out if some of our ball knowledge is a little bit off. But I'm sure it will not be, yeah. um, because today we're talking about pre-contract transfers. Yeah. Um, obviously, Nkuku is probably the one that most people know is coming to Chelsea this summer. Um, and actually, these should happen a bit more often than they do. It feels like a relatively new thing. Um, when I gave you the idea for the podcast, you said, oh, like Navi Cater, who I don't think either of us put in our best five. No, certainly not. And it's probably... You're taking this very confidently and you're, you're boasting quite a bit because you went ahead and picked your five before I could pick any. So you've taken all the best ones. So I've sort of been left with the the crumbs at the end of it, but it's fine. Um, yeah, this is pretty modern in terms of the transfer approach. I think we'll see it more and more in the coming seasons with players maybe pushing for a move, might sign different contracts to get a release clause and then they'll have a pre-agreement in place. So I think we'll see more and more, but... Yeah, it's been quite difficult to actually find examples. So Naby Keita was the one that came to the top of my mind, but he certainly not my, made my list this occasion, even though the, I do have two Liverpool players in, in my five. Okay, yeah, so certainly not uh, unfair. And yeah, certainly if you look on articles online, there are so few talking about pre-contract agreements. You kind of have to either remember the transfer and then look back at the date that it was agreed, or yeah, they're certainly in very recent years gone by. But hit me with your number one pick, please. Okay, well, I'm going to start. My first pick is Joel Matip. Schalke, the Liverpool signed for Liverpool officially on the 15th of February 2016 on a pre-contact agreement, Bosman signing to Liverpool. Obviously, as a free signing, you're hoping that the player coming in will make an impact, and, and Matip has very much done that at Liverpool. It was a standout during the Champions League campaign where we won the Champions League in 2018. Um obviously played a significant role in the Premier League season. He's won everything there is to win in the club game. And to say that we were able to get him on a free transfer from Schalke with the ability that he has both early as well as playing out from the back um, is something to be said in terms of one of the probably one of the best signings we've made over the last 10 years from a financial perspective. So he has been outstanding for Liverpool, whether he will be at the club past this transfer summer, the summer transfer window, we'll wait and see. But from what he's provided to Liverpool on a Bosman signing, I think it's been exceptional. And he's been a significant part of our success in the last few years and building up a really solid partnership with Virgil van Dijk during that trans Champions League season specifically. So he goes in for me. Like I said, it's it's funny that you've sent me first and I've had to go with Joel Matip in regards to, in, in comparison to who you're about to call it as your first choice. But like I said, I got left with the shrapnel. But uh, Joel Matip, goes to the top of my list as a, a really solid pre-agreed transfer 
like I said, signed for us in the summer transfer window, but was pre-agreed in February. So it, it very much ticks the box. And I'll pass it back to you for any comments or whether you just want to dive straight in with your first choice because you went for the big players and I went for the, the lesser known pre-agreed ones. I think there's, there's something in having, yeah, a bit of a mix. And I think Liverpool have done that really well with their transfer strategy. Not all pre-agreed, not all freeze, but... Your likes of a Robertson coming in at seven mil, Shakiri was fairly cheap. Mm. That is something Liverpool did very, very well. Was they went out and got the three, four stellar buys, and then they made the rest of their squad with kind of bits and pieces elsewhere, and made them all more than the sum of their parts. So my first pick is Frankie De Jong. Um, obviously, that Ajax team that got to the Champions League semi-finals were quite something. It seemed immediately that the lip De Jong. Um, those guys would be off. Barcelona got in early. They kind of secured the bag on the fact that Frankie was a Barca fan growing up, loved their style of play, uh, signed him for about £63 million. Pounds. Um, I think if you were to buy him now, you'd get probably about £90 million for him. Certainly Man United have been linked for years and it's kind of never gone anywhere. And that's because he's very effectively become the conduit between the old school, the Xavi and the Iniesta's, and the new school with the Pedris and the Gavis, he gives them something that I don't think many of their other midfielders do at the minute, which is very good passing, but very good carry ability. So he's in the top 95% of midfielders for carries, top 94% for pass accuracy, and top 95% for progressive passes. So he's really kind of taken on the mantle to be the leader of this midfield with Busquets fading a bit. And I think he's been a very impressive buy, and they did well to tie it up all before the summer transfer window. Yeah, and he's still relatively young from a midfielder perspective. What is he, 25, 26? Uh, no, it's De Jong, not De Jong. Horrendous. These jokes actually are worse in person than they are <laughs> virtually. Um, horrendous, but yeah, he's still relatively young from a midfielder perspective. Should be the forefront of their midfield in the coming seasons. Um, whether they need to cash in on, cash in on him or not, we will wait and see, but yeah. I think it was the long list of clubs who were interested in signing De Jong, but once Barcelona came into play, it was, it was a fairly obvious transfer. And one that was a long line of transfers from Ajax, and they just continue to keep reproducing. So I might have one from Ajax on my list later on in this, but I'm going to go straight into from Barcelona to Real Madrid. And uh, my second choice was Rodrigo So Real Madrid. He had signed for Real Madrid in June of 2018, but didn't join them until the June of 2019. Still only 22 years of age. We've known him for breaking Man City hearts, which was a glorious um, few moments in that Champions League draw. But great, great player. Um, adds real balance to that Real Madrid team, especially this season, playing on the right-hand side with Vinicius on the left. But really talented player. Second youngest ever hat-trick scorer in Champions League football. Still has a lot to provide to Real Madrid, but I think this one's more around what he could provide to them as a club over the next five, six, seven, eight years. And there's a high level of capability there um probably an example following the Vinicius signing of Real Madrid scouting Brazil and the Brazilian youth players and signing them for a relatively high fee but at a relatively young age as well so I think there's still a lot to come from him this one's more based on potential capabilities but also what he's provided to date so I think he will we we sit down and do over the top football will still be going in five years of course but we sit down and redo this less than five years I think Rodrigo will very much be on very high up in both of our lists. So that's why I've included him in mind. Um, really impressive player. 
getting better as the seasons go on. And I think we'll see more and more from them in the coming seasons at Real Madrid. Definitely. And I think you mentioned kind of their their scouting network in Brazil is brilliant. And I think a large part of that is just because of the culture. Obviously, you've had R9 there, you've had some Carlos, you've had classic Brazilian players play at Real Madrid. So they've really worked at a way to make them feel comfortable. Um, you could say that Real Madrid players and Brazilians go together like you and premature ejaculation. Run them. <laughs> it's just a, just a metaphor I just came up with. That you wasn't know. in the script. It um... certainly wasn't in the script, but you know, I thought it, it felt it felt right because I also have a Brazilian um, Real Madrid player coming who I'll talk about a little bit now, actually. Um, Vinicius Junior was an option here. Um, he agreed his deal, similarly to Rodrigo, actually, about 18 months before he actually signed. Uh, you've got Endrick as well, who's the new school coming up, who could fit that profile as well. But I went for Edin Mizzetau, just because I wanted to talk about him a little bit, because he's having a very underrated season. Um, not only has he been keeping Tony Rudiger out of the team, um, he, yeah, he's become a goal threat. He's got five goals from 26 games this year. Um, and then you look at his stats and they're fairly solid in all numbers, but he's top 97% for blocks, which when you're Real Madrid and you're a ball dom- dominant team anyway, I know then they're, they're not necessarily the tightest at the back. Uh, they do allow teams to have chances, but him getting in the right position more often than not to make the block um, just shows kind of how well he reads the game and what the attackers are going to do. Yeah, I certainly thought in his first year from Porto, he was maybe a bit sloppy and erratic. He struck me as a bit like an Umput Meccano this year. Like he could be targeted in the elite bracket in those games. Um, but I think he's disproved that now. Um, I'm really looking forward to those Real Madrid Man City ties. Um, and I think if Militao, if Real are to progress, Militao will be a big part of that. Yeah, he's such a mature defender now. He comes across as a real leader at the back for Real Madrid and we had played against Porto probably every season in the Champions League for the last five years so I've been to a few of those games I saw Militao in person and you're right there was just a little bit maybe it's a concentration issue or he was just growing into the game at the top level but we were able to get him a number of times whereas when we played them in this season he just looks like a different defender different unit uh, way more composed way more organized more of a leader at the back and he's been outstanding for Real Madrid this season and, and Definitely deserves to be on this list. Keeping in the Brazilian theme, um, I've went for a bit of a rogue one here, and I went for Anthony to Ajax from Sao Paulo. Um, he, of course, is now a Manchester United player. But yeah, terrible now, but yeah, but it was it's more of the pre-agreed contract roundabout where this was involved with. Um, Zh went to had agreed his signing to go to Chelsea from Ajax at that time when Ajax were selling all their bigger players. Um, they signed. Anthony from Sao Paulo for £18.2 million. He went on, scored 18 goals and 57 appearances over the course of two seasons before agreeing a fee for £85 million to go to Manchester United last summer, which is, of course, quick maths, overall profit of £66.8 million for Ajax over two years, £33.4 million profit per season that he was there. This is more around the business side of, of football for me, rather than the performance side or the quality of player, but for Ajax to continue to produce these types of transfer transfers that generate such good revenue for the club is just another example of 
being able to react upon the ZH deal with Anthony, then turn him into a £66 million profit in two years. Just an unbelievable way of running the football club. And, you know, I think he will come good. He's, you know, at the minute he's a £85 million fidget spinner, but he will grow into himself at United. I think he needs to develop a right foot a little bit more. But for the job that he did at Ajax to fill that ZH void, what a job that he did and what a profit that he generated for the club. So fair play to Ajax, fair play to Anthony as well. But um, yeah, for just for the business side of football, he has to go on my list. Yeah, I, I think that's fair given given the profit made. I don't think he's as bad as he's been made out. Football Daily, I saw, put him as their flop of the season just because of how much he cost. Yeah. He definitely isn't that. No. He is one-footed and a bit one-dimensional, but Iron Robin was, and look at what a career he ended up having. Yeah. I think Man United actually are, until Sancho really gets firing, uh, if he ever does, I think Manchester United are a better team with Anthony in it. Yeah. Um, and you'd say the same about the Ajax team, probably. Like, I think he gave them a bit more kind of dribbling, a bit more edge than they have without him in it. So he clearly has some value to him because he makes the team better around him. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's very, very frustrating when you see a professional footballer be so incredibly one-footed. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely unfair to say that he's been flopped this season. I think there's, you know, you potentially look at someone like, someone like Calvin Phillips um, for that role, but I think he has provided big goals sometimes when needed for United. I think he certainly... Got off to a flyer. Yeah. I think he scored three and three. I was going to say four and four, three and three. Um, I think he does need to, you know, switch up his play a little bit. He's becoming a little bit too predictable. You sort of look at effectively ninety million pounds. You know, he's not incredibly quick. He doesn't track back loads. He's very one-footed, but he's still a top-quality footballer somehow. So there's definitely more to him that meets the eye. And I think he will come good at United with, you know, someone like Eric Ten Hag bringing him along with him. But I think he's had a better start at United than Jadon Sancho's had. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Definitely agree with it. I think you'd argue Sancho has a higher ceiling, but really Man United are in slight financial fair play issues this summer, as in they have to sell a bit before they can really buy who they want to. And I would look at selling Jaden Sancho as an asset over Anthony, because I think you'd get more money for him right now. I don't know I don't know where Sancho would go, though. Who, who would pay the money if... If you've I'd signed take him at Tottenham, but I wouldn't buy him for more than forty-five million. I was going to say you've just paid ninety million for him. You're going to want to recoup at least sixty of that, and I don't see that. The only thing you could do is offer him as part of a Jude Bellingham deal, Harry Kane deal, hundred mm. million plus Jadon Sancho. <laughs> Calm yourself. <laughs> How much are you looking for Harry Kane? Um, I, again, I don't think Sancho would go to Spurs though. I don't think you'd want to be, yeah, you know, fighting relegation. Good. So. Where does he go? I literally don't... above you in the league. Not for long. Not for long. Um, we'll wait and see where he finishes up. But I think he—I don't think he goes anywhere else except for staying at United at this point. Um, don't think there's anywhere abroad that he could go to as a real option. So they'll have to see him as one of the unsellable assets because they won't be able to recoup the money that's spent for him. Where do they generate those funds? It looks as if it's going to be a takeover anyway. So they're going to be able to generate additional funds from that. Um, and be able to spend a little bit more based on the funds that they're putting into the club. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, I think Anthony deserves to be on this list from a business perspective anyway. And that's sort of what I was left with at this point. My next 
pick is very much a business one rather than a football one, but I'll let you jump into your next pick. Yeah, no, well, I... talking of picks just for business and not necessarily performance on the field, I have gone for Erling Haaland, um, who was a pre-contract agreement for Manchester City this year. He has already broken the Premier League goal-scoring record, looked awesome against Arsenal the other night. Um, actually, not necessarily in his role that we've become so accustomed to. We've kind of seen him and he's been pegged as just a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people say Erdegaard or Saka should get team of the uh, player of the year because of that. But actually, Haaland's got eight league assists this year. Yeah, He is very functional. He doesn't have loads of touches, but his build-up play is underrated. It's just the fact that so many teams go to Man City and put 11 men behind the ball. But when you played against Arsenal and they tried to go toe-to-toe with them last night, um, not last night, the night before, I thought he did a really good job in hold-up play and putting De Bruyne through for things. So, yeah, great player. To do it for about 53 or 54 million, whatever it was, I think that is a real bargain price. Just clinical. If City win the, the treble this year, I think you go ahead and you say, what a brilliant piece of business that is. Again, apparently he will sign a new contract because Pep has agreed to extend his contract by a year. So if you do do that and you get another year of him staving off Man City, uh, not Man City, Real Madrid, you're potentially looking at getting him for 150, 200 million. So not only will you 4X your money, you will get an incredible amount, like an unseen before amount of goals in the Premier League whilst he's there. Yeah. Yeah. Number one pick of either of our lists i think i think long term will be number one pick yeah uh, there's probably one or two others that you could argue right now are the top of the list but for what he's done i think the arsenal game showed that he's just playing the role that he's been asked to play by pep and he's got loads more about him in terms of being a footballer rather than just a goal scorer just an unbelievable player i think yeah you're paying 50 million for that pre-agreed contract by the amount of money you probably had to pay the agents, you're probably looking more around 150 million. Um, by the sounds of things, or 120 at least. But You've regardless, it's an FFP. Regardless, come on, well we've been told it's 50 million. We'll it's, take it's, it's space value. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's 100 isn't 50. It's million, not 50 million. But... No, it's it's it'll be closer to about 120, but still worth every single penny. Unbelievable goal scoring capabilities. It's changing up and ripping up every single record available to him, and yeah. I, I said a few weeks ago on one of the other podcasts that everyone should go back and listen to around who will win the rest of the top five tournaments and leagues. Um, and I do think City are on course for at least a double this year. And I think he'll be at the very, very centre of all of that with the players around them not performing to the level that you would expect. I think a lot of City players have underperformed this year. I think the likes of Stones has been exceptional. Jack Reader since the World Cup. But you can't really point to many other ones who have played above what you would expect. Rodri. Rodri, fair. But I think Erling Haaland has just paved the way for them to be successful everywhere they go. And um, he will go down as probably the best pre-agreed signing in football history over the next 10 years. Exactly. Um, yeah, hit, hit us with it. So yeah, my last choice was Anthony Sao Paulo de Ajax based on business. Um, this one's very much based on business. I went David Beckham, the LA Galaxy, as a pre-agreed transfer. More so, he took a while to you know, really get the grips with the MLS over there, but he did end up winning the MLS Cup with LA Galaxy, so probably turned out to be a significant success as a transfer and as a player in the MLS. 
but it was more the impact that he made moving to American football, American soccer, if you want to call it that, um, in terms of increasing the exposure on the MLS. And of course, since then, you know, from an impact perspective, probably the biggest impact of this list is going ahead and finding a team within the league, which he obviously had that contractual offer of being able to do that for, I think it was around $25 million that you had mentioned Crazy. earlier. Crazy, yeah. So how much Inter-Miami is probably worth now, God knows. Um, but, you know, the impact on the league from an exposure perspective back in the 2010 type of era, right up to now where he owns a franchise, he's brought in additional players. You're being, you're talking about Lionel Messi potentially lining out for someone like Inter-Miami at the time. Um, as we talk, I think that could happen in the future years rather than now. But, you know, previously signed Gonzalo Higuain, those types of players playing for a franchise that Beckham has since set up, having initially moved to the MLS. So from a exposure perspective, a business perspective, what David Beckham has done since moving the LA Galaxy within the American soccer scene um, needs to be appreciated and looked at and probably seen as probably the most impactful signing on this list in terms of what they've done for that club, for that league, um, and for that country from a football perspective as a whole. So that's why he's in this list for me. Yeah, and one of the benefits of us doing this episode in person is that I can see that you've got absolutely no notes <laughs> under David Beckham on your list. None. So to give a good little bit of spiel about that was actually fairly impressive. Yeah, um, yeah. certainly not unfair. Obviously, transferred there after um, kind of things going a bit awry with Real Madrid. Um, even though from memory, he had a really good last season. Yeah. Um, he got back into the team, didn't he? And yeah. kind of showed what he was about. He obviously had a couple of loan spells at AC Milan whilst he was at LA Galaxy, finished at PSG, PSG. which yeah. kind of showed you his level. Um, so yeah, he certainly was able to kind of capture the hearts of the US audience. And you've got to remember back in the days when um, they tried to get more kind of I don't, can't remember what their term for it was, their Galacticos, but US soccer has folded before mm -hmm. um, because there just wasn't enough interest in it. And I think now it's the most played sport in the US at an amateur level. So I think Beckham's got a lot to answer for there and kind of being a poster boy for the sport. And yeah, certainly, certainly a good one to include on your list. Yeah, I mean, just as you can tell by my zero notes, um, yeah, I think one of the most impressive things were since he signed that pre-agreement, it was Fabio Capello who was in charge of Real Madrid at the time, um, dropped them from the squad, from everything, because sort of lack of commitment or lack of focus. And he played himself back in to the Real Madrid starting 11 for the second half of the season and was exceptional for that second half of the season. When he moved to LA Galaxy, he was then able to play his way back into the England squad as well. Even within the MLS, he was playing centre of field when he came back in. I think it was under Steve McLaren. And the way that he paved the way for the likes of Lampard, Gerrard, David Villa, Andrea Perlo, um, Robbie Keane, of course, Ashley Cole, all of those players went and moved to the MLS following David Beckham's move in that first place. Yeah, so they've become probably the most flagship team. I know they've got joint most titles. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, certainly if you had to ask people to name an American team, most people would probably say LA Galaxy won. Yeah, probably. But even since he moved, you know, you look at LA Galaxy, the players that have played there since Beckham, you know, you look at Gerard, Kane, Ashley Cole, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, Giovanni De Santos, 
Chikorito, Landon Donovan, Landon Donovan was, was there at the time. Um, Chikorito, of course, as well. So there's been a long line of players who have moved there, but since he played in the MLS, you know, even New York City Football Club was spun up by the same owners as Man City. So there's been massive impact that he's made on that league, on that country as a whole, in terms of the football scene, and that sort of started with. You know, we, we think about years ago, you look at Bobby Moore and George Best and Pele all played in, in US, but then it very much dwindled down. And I think Beckham reignited the interest there and, and has helped grow the sport significantly. Definitely. So moving on to kind of huge impacts to more of a niche one, um, purely because it was only done last summer. But I have gone for a man who slots well in at the back, Nico Schlotterbeck. Dortmund, top of the Bundesliga, may well win the title this year. Um, and actually, Schlotterbeck would have a big part to say in that. So, obviously, they brought him in. They brought him in for about 25 million euros in the summer. Um, the season before, Dortmund had a very poor defensive record. Um, so, yeah, they certainly needed some help. Um, got him in from Freiburg. It was kind of done way before the summer. He'd had a really breakthrough year that year. Um, and effectively... Dortmund managed to, they spent a bit more, but they managed to get a lot of that money back when they, late in the window, sold a Kanji to Man City. So they were able to kind of get a transfer they didn't necessarily expect to happen, but then also significantly improved their defence for what they needed. Um, if you haven't seen him play, really great player, really calm on the ball. He's the top 97% for carries and progressive passes. So he's really um, tidy on the ball, helps them... Um, yeah, build from the back. He's also top 87% for tackles, so very active centre-back. Um, and one thing that surprised me, he's got four goals and four assists this year in about 28 games. Um, it's one thing I've noticed, actually, when doing a lot of the stats, um, Militao, for example, five goals. Actually, it does seem like, apart from in a team like Man City with Haaland, a lot of goals are now getting far more shared round than they used to. Like, back in the day, Centre-backs, I certainly, maybe it's one for one of our upcoming episodes when we mention kind of some of our favourite players. Um, but you could have right-backs or left-backs with about 10 career goals. And now, um, yeah, a few of them will get close to that in one season. So, Well, even if you look at this season, you think about the Premier League, John Stones scored against Arsenal the other night, of course. That was his third goal of the season, but only the first inside the box. Okay. Which was an interesting stat. The other two were long-range efforts. So you're getting more technically capable defenders than they had 10, 20 years ago who are getting way more goals from all types of situations. Um, 100%. And Tottenham have Eric Dyer, who is brilliant at finishing and really took his chance nicely against Manchester United last night. Just, we talked about that. I, yeah. How he's went from, I was so impressed with him, first half of the season, second half he's been absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Dire by name, dire by nature. Exactly. Let's move on to your final pick. Yeah, I think our final picks, probably the two that we would argue might top this list as this stands in 2023. Um, mine's a slight loophole, so you, you give me limited limited options because you picked your five initially. But by, by four days, this counts as a pre-agreed contract with Virgil van Dijk from Southampton to Liverpool. Signed for Liverpool on the 27th of December 2017. So four days outside of the transfer window. So technically it counts. And um, and I'll hear nothing other than it's a good pick. 
75 million pounds at that time was raised a load of eyebrows but looks like an absolute steal now he absolutely transformed liverpool from the second that he walked in the door first full season at the club liverpool had the best defensive record in the Premier league having conceded just 22 goals in that season and we obviously won the the champions league um in the first year that he was there followed by the Premier league first Premier league in 30 years but people talk about Van Dijk and, and, and Allison coming in and transforming Liverpool's team. Van Dijk in the first six months made such a big impact in terms of us getting to the Champions League final against Real Madrid. And, you know, if Karius didn't have the biggest hurler in Champions League history, then it could have been a different story. But in the first 12 months of Van Dijk at Liverpool, before he walked in the door, we averaged conceding 1.2 goals per game and kept a clean sheet in 32% of the games that we played in the first 12 months after he joined. So six months of the initial season and six months with Allison, that figure dropped to 0.5 goals per game with the clean sheet and 50%, 57% of the games that he played. He, he's won everything. He made Dijon Lovren believe he was the best centre back in the world for a period of time. Um, and he was absolutely robbed of the Ballon d'Or by Messi where he should have won, but he was second place. He's definitely on the downward spiral at the minute. Maybe not a spiral, but he's he's definitely hasn't been the same since Pickford wiped them out. Um, and I think this season his his standards are are well below what we expect of Virgil Van Dijk. But at his peak, at his prime, you could argue it was you know the season where we won the league or season where we won the Champions League or around that period of time, he was arguably one of the best centre halves the Premier League's ever seen. Yeah. And, and um. That's the standard that he set, and that's the levels that he brought Liverpool to. So, by four days, he's in this list, and um, for me, he would be seen as one of the biggest signings in Premier League history to make an impact on the club that he's come into. Nice. Um, I think it was cute of you to compare the washed Dutch lesbian to my pick, because I think my pick, for various different reasons, is significantly better. Uh, Robert Lewandowski, 2014, Dortmund to Bayern Munich. Um, that was confirmed in January that he joined the arch rivals at the end of the year. Obviously, we've seen that move happen a few times. Hummels has done it there and then back. Yeah. Goethe also pretty agreed. Um, but yeah, didn't quite go as well for him. Um, but yeah, I think my pick is a better one purely because it was a free transfer. Um, and at the end of it, age 33, he got 50 million euro move to Barcelona. So technically, this is minus 50 million pounds. This has cost this move. Um, but yeah, he's set buying records. He scored over 300 goals in the Bundesliga. Um, he broke uh, Gerd Muller's record for most goals in a Bundesliga season. Um, scored five in that game against Wolfsburg off the bench once. Um, countless goals in Champions League. Um He's won the title. He did win the title every single year he was there. Um, Champions League, multiple cups as well. Certainly for a sustained period of time, I think he's the best pick on the list. Um, and probably one of the best strikers of this generation. Um, again, he's probably one who's been robbed of the Ballon d'Or. Mm -hmm. I think behind Suarez, you'd probably say he's the second best striker of the generation. I think he's better than Benzema. Yeah. But you would argue Benzema arguably has had higher highs with the Champions League wins yeah. and some of his performances in those. But I think we look favourably on Benzema because he's actually got much better towards the end of his career. Lewandowski, yeah. 
I think I think repeatedly was doing it in his twenties. Individual seasons, I think the season that Bayern Munich won the Champions League and Lewandowski was robbed of Ballon d'Or is probably the peak of the strikers in that list. Yeah, but I think Suarez goes under the radar significantly because he played in the same team as Lionel Messi. Like it's yeah, it's, it's, I, it's I, difficult. I think Suarez. If I was to pick two at their peak, I would pick Suarez because he gives more. Yeah. Um, like his yeah his tenacity his goals. Um, but if you were to look side by side at their records, probably or their careers, you'd arguably say you'd have wanted Lewandowski's career. The only thing he didn't ever do is play with Messi, which might change this summer. Exactly. Um, no, I think it's a fair pick. The the reason I would have Virgil's my pick of the lot is um, bias. Bias. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think Lewandowski. Probably goes down as one of the best free transfers in football history, and the fact that it was pre-agreed. But the difficulty for me, it's such a such an obvious transfer to go from Dortmund to Bayern. But I do think it's I do think it's probably the biggest signing on this list, the best pre-agreed transfer on this list. I think Holland will overtake that in time, um, and depending if they win the treble, then it could be just this summer it overtakes it. But from a longevity perspective, from a amount of goals and individual seasons. I would probably say Lewandowski is the pick of the 10 and that uh, has to go down as one of the best pre-agreed signings in football history. Definitely. Now, you'll notice from our lists that there was uh, kind of a bit of a recency bias here. So if there are any old school ones that we missed out, please do get at us in the comments on Spotify, to our Instagram, to our TikTok. Um, we'd love to hear if perhaps your club had a legendary one. I think, I think, Quite notably, we didn't necessarily do one who became like a real kind of club local legend mm. rather than kind of a international and elite world class great. Um, so we would love to hear, yeah, perhaps if there was a League One player who came to your team and really tore up trees, we'd love to hear some of those. Um, but that draws us to the close of another episode, John. If there is anything that the people at home could do, what could they do? As always, please share this episode and pass it on to your friends, family, and the different WhatsApp groups, whatever you want to do. Uh, rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your pod- podcast. Please leave a like, leave a comment, um, but follow us on there and turn on the notifications. Go to our socials, Instagram, TikTok, follow us on there. We'll, again, as we always say every week, we'll, we'll put more and more on there as we go along. Recording some TikTok content today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Go on, follow us on there. Um, you'll be the you'll sort of have there as one of the key areas where you'll see about new episodes. But um, please tune in next week. We'll be pushing more and more content to you. This content's been recorded in person, so we're uh, we're going to be getting about two or three more done today or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, as yeah. always, thanks for the support. Hundred percent to our live listeners. Um, what would you have rated that episode on Spotify? A solid two and a half. Yep, we'll edit that one in case anybody uh, didn't hear that. He said two and a half. Um, If you could just nicely double that if you are on our Spotify reviews, that would be a great, great help to our podcast. Um, And we'll catch you next time. Cheers, John. Thanks, Rob. Speak soon.